Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. This podcast is sponsored by Boringer Engelheim. As a global leader in equine health, Boringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting buy-vetmedica.com. Hi, I'm Mike Connell, and welcome to another episode of AAP Practice Life Podcast. And we have a really special group of guests today, and this is one I've really been looking forward to. So we have Dr. Scott Hay, president of the AAP, Dr. Emma Reed, president-elect of the AAP, and David Foley, the executive director of the AAP. Welcome all. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So this is our opportunity to talk about all things AP and what uh, AP is doing for memberships. And uh, first of all, before we get into that, I just thought we would go around, just do some general introductions. Um, even though we are a relatively small group of people, we don't know everybody. <laughs> and I think especially uh, with uh, what happened with our convention last year in Las Vegas, we really weren't all there in one spot to see the president's message and introduction of the new board. So Dr. Hay, I'll, I'll start with you and uh, work around the room and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where your practice is, how long you've been in practice, so forth. Thanks, Mike. Scott Hay, I'm uh, practicing at Eglin, Franklin, and Broken, primarily in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, Gulfstream Park is where I work most every day. Uh, been practicing with TFB for uh, upwards of 30 years. Been there since I came out of veterinary school. My work life is devoted to racing thoroughbreds, uh, probably about 80% of what I do, and the other 20% is traveling to thoroughbred horse sales around the country. Our practice services different racing facilities, either racetracks or training centers up and down the East Coast of the United States. Excellent. And Dr. Reed, tell us about yourself. Thanks, Mike. So, uh, I graduated from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon in a very cold part of uh, Canada at the moment with the current weather. (laughs) Graduated from there and then went out into practice for a little while in Alberta. Then went back and did a surgery internship before completing a surgery residency at the University of Georgia. And then following that, taught at the Ontario Vet School for a little while and then moved out to Calgary to help establish a brand new veterinary school out there, which was the fifth one in Canada at the time, and uh, worked there for about 12 years, and then moved down to the U.S. again, and I'm here in Ohio at the moment at the Ohio State University, and uh, I currently serve as Associate Dean of Professional Programs which basically means I oversee uh, students and the curriculum. 
Right. Well, congratulations on that. Just as an aside, I've known Dr. Reed for about a, longer than I've been a vet. So uh, really happy to see <laughs> the position that you've joined with the AP and membership has elected you. So great. And, and David, David Foley. I mean, I think David was the first person, small story, and David has no idea what I'm talking about. But my first AP, my then fiance and I went and it was in San Antonio about, I don't know, 20 odd years ago. And the first person I met, we're trying to get into a restaurant was I had no idea who David was. I found out later and it was just like such a decent, polite person. I was like, hey, if he's running this organization, it must be a good organization. So, so that, that goes back a few years. So it does. Welcome, David. Thank you. I um, am Kentucky native, grew up in Louisville, went to the University of Kentucky, uh, have a degree in agricultural economics, started working for the Kentucky Horse Park, actually, right out of college for a few years as an event coordinator, uh, and then began to work for AAEP in 1988. I was 25 years old when I started there, and we had a very small staff, and I was hired on initially as the convention and trade show manager. And so did that for a few years. And as the organization grew, I kind of grew with it and, and added membership and added sponsorship and different things like that. Um, and then in 2000, was named executive director. So I, I've been with the organization a really long time. I had no idea. That's fascinating. The first thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, one of the things I've been had the privilege of being on many committees with the AP over the years. And I think one of the strengths of the organization is the volunteerism, the members that volunteer. And it's not like we're not busy enough being practicing veterinarians that we decide to spend more time working on committees. So tell us why you led you to volunteer for the AAP and, and why you continue to do so. Well, you know, as a kid, my father was a veterinarian in a small town in Kansas. And, uh, you know, I'd follow him around in practice and he'd go to all these conventions, whether they be a local Kansas State Continuing Education event, or even AAP. And so I kind of got introduced to the, the camaraderie that takes place during those types of meetups. And, and he had classmates in his veterinary school class that were heavily involved in SAVMA, that um, they were instructors there at the university, uh, Dan Upson and Russ Fry. And we, we would follow them around, and they were true mentors, and they were deeply involved in organized veterinary medicine. And then I moved to uh, Teglin Franklin Broken, where, you know, M.B. Teglin had founded the practice. He was former president and, and an early uh, participant in the formation of the AAP. While I was in practice with Tom Broken, or while I'm still in practice, Tom Broken has been president and Ben Franklin has been president of the AAP. Um, practiced with a guy by the name of Bruce Solomon, who his father was a AAP president and practiced side by side with a guy by the name of Joe Birch at the uh, racetracks down South Florida, AAP president, and, and uh, John Mitchell as well in the Pompano area. So I've been around a lot of guys that were pretty heavily involved in the organization. And, uh, you know, they were always, you know, pushing members of our practice to be involved in the organization. And, and it's always been super rewarding what we've gotten out of it. Not only, you know, feeling a sense of accomplishment, but a feeling of sense of belonging and, and place and, you know, the camaraderie that takes place amongst members of, like you said, committees and, and any of the leadership roles that taking place. It's just been very rewarding to, you know, be part of that group. And um, those are a lot of, you know, 
Titans that I just mentioned that have been involved in the organization. It was a lot of a lot of fun to be able to you know follow up behind them. Yeah, that's a great story. Following in their footsteps, wonderful. And Dr. Reed yourself, why give so much? Because I know these committees could take a lot of time, and now you are on the executive, and that I'm sure takes even more time. Yeah. So. I guess for me, um, I echo quite a few of the things that Scott was saying, you know, the social aspect of AEP, I think has always been a great thing, um, right from the very beginning as a student, and then as a young associate, uh, young faculty member, just the chance to connect and meet other people and uh, see them every year at the convention, I always feel like the convention's a bit of a homecoming. And uh I guess the other thing that really drew me to AEP as I started to get involved in committees, task force, that kind of thing, is um, the staff members. So I think AEP has a phenomenal staff. And uh, when you see what they do behind the scenes and how AEP actually runs and functions, I haven't worked with another organization that is quite like that. So I think the staff are phenomenal. And for me, I guess the the other main thing is the chance to work with students and to work with young people who are entering the profession. I think it's really important that as they come out of school or as they are in school, that they find a place where they feel like they can belong, um, as Dr. Hay was saying, and that they recognize that AEP is their group, is their peers. And that kind of support is something that is really important when you head out into practice. And uh, I think AEP has afforded me many chances over the years to work on things like avenues program, uh, student task force, um, things like that, that have been near and dear to my heart. And so I've really enjoyed those opportunities. Well, those are great stories. And, and David, I'll, I'll come to you because, I mean, it must make you feel very satisfied hearing such positive accolades about the staff at the AEP. And I, I can definitely echo what Dr. Reed uh, says is that the people I've worked with at the office of the AEP are outstanding people. Well, thank you. That's really nice of you both to say. I, I, I feel the same way. I'm a little biased, of course, but I think we have an exceptional staff and I'm, I'm super proud of the work that they do. And, and particularly this past year, with having to move everything to a virtual environment. And, and it really caused us to step outside of our comfort zone uh, to pull that off, frankly. And uh, we did. And the feedback's been great. And so um, that, they, just, they all just step up time and time again. Wonderful. So we have different ages, different demographics here. And I'd love to go back and because I, I, I love the history of the profession and, and the history of the AP. And, and I'll start with you, Dr. Hay, in terms of what has changed in the equine vet profession since you started with the AEP? Well, there's, you know, quite a few things. And I, I think that um, probably the biggest thing is, is gender and the acceptance. You know, I work on a racetrack and, and uh, have for basically my entire professional life. And there was always roadblocks to female veterinarians at the racetrack, so to speak. I think that's been very well broken down over the years, and uh, it's it's been a bit of a struggle for a lot of them. But they they've gotten to a place now where I don't think there's any difference seen by clients between male and female. There's just there's a, a tremendous acceptance, and it's a great thing. I don't know honestly if that is 
there's been as many roadblocks in other types of practice for our gender change within our organization. But certainly it's, it's been a great sense of uh, growth within the industry of equine veterinarians that, uh, that there's been this great acceptance. And that's taken a long time. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that I think people have gotten away from uh, wearing this badge of how hard and how many hours they've worked. And, you know, certainly in equine practice, it's still a little bit of a challenge of working these long hours and working odd hours and holidays and so on and so forth. But I think that people have figured out how to get a little better work-life balance, even within equine practice in general and racetrack practice specifically. If there's not this seven day a week mantra that you have to live by all the time in this day and age. And, you know, and I guess the, the third thing that's kind of still developing is the kind of a transition from all practices being owned by one particular entity and now moving into a lot, a lot of corporate ownership. And, you know, our practice is one for an example that's had a recent merger into a larger entity. And I see that more and more down the road as, you know, not just a individual occurrence anymore. It's happening all over the place. So I, I'm not sure where that's going because that's all still developing. But, you know, there are some benefits for sure. And there are some concerns for sure as, as to what's going to transpire in years to come. Thanks. And Dr. Reed, what have you noticed? What are the changes you've seen in the profession since uh, you started? Well, I know that when uh, I went into my surgery residency, I was sort of the second second woman that they had ever had um, joining a residency program. And certainly when I joined AEP as a student, I noticed that, you know, there was not many people of my age that were female and sort of looking up, looking up there was a lot of older males uh, in the organization. And I think over time that has changed. And now when you go to convention, um, you really see there's a lot of women that have joined equine practice. As, as Scott says, that's come a long ways in that period of time. And uh, I, I look around now and I see a lot of them are not only involved in practice, but they're not just the associates anymore. Now they own the practices and there's practices that are multiple veterinarians where they're all women in the same practice. And, uh, and I think that's great to see that's something that didn't exist so much when I first started out. For sure. And David, I mean, you've been at the APL um, a long time. Um, and I mean, you, you've seen presidents come and go, you've seen the profession change, you're interacting with veterinarians all across the world, really. So what have you noticed to be the biggest changes? Just to continue the the same theme there, really, it has been the, the dramatic shift in gender. And it's really happened in the profession as a whole, not just equine practice. I think equine practice was was a little slower getting there. But I think it's really been a good thing. I, I think it's caused us to take a really hard look at practice models and how we can help them uh, change and adapt to be more family friendly. Uh, there's been more of an emphasis placed on wellness and life balance. And those really have are not gender issues. I think they're more generational issues. And I, and I think we need to do all that we can to make this profession more sustainable for people. Um, and so that's been a big focus of ours, you, you know, just from an organization standpoint internally, 
we've grown considerably over the last few years. When I first started, we had four employees. We have 21 now. So our infrastructure has grown, our budget's grown, our scope of services that we can offer uh, and provide the membership have grown. Our reach in the industry um, has grown and we have sit in a much more influential place uh, in the horse industry and even with the federal government on legislative issues um, than we ever have before. Uh, and then the other thing I'd like to just really highlight is the, is the growth of our foundation. I mean, 25 years ago, we didn't even have a foundation and it kind of knocked along at a really small level for a number of years. And just in the last few, especially with the rebranding, calling it the foundation for the horse, that really just speaks to the, to the mission of that foundation. It is exploding. And I think I'm very excited to see that the impact that the foundation will make. So a lot of things happening internally and within the profession. Wonderful. Thank you. So talking about changes, we're still living in our COVID world. And uh, as somebody says, the crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And so out of this is challenges and there are opportunities. And so Dr. Hay, I'll start with you. And what do you think are the challenges and opportunities in this post-COVID world that we're hopefully soon entering? Well, it's been an interesting time for sure. And, you know, we were challenged early on with, you know, parts of our practice basically being totally shut down and parts of our practice that weren't used to the level of of work at the time uh, continuing on. But I'll go into a little more detail on that. When when COVID first hit, you know, in South Florida, it was the end of the winter season and winter season never ended because Nobody could leave and go anywhere else. All the places they were supposed to go in the spring weren't racing. And so uh, there was a big shift, you know, on our, our northern parts of our practice weren't working at all. And racing was shut down, either mandated or voluntarily. And then, uh, you know, other parts of our practice became more busy. So there was a, you know, a difficult time trying to figure out personnel those kind of things that were affecting our practice. And I can see a lot of other people were probably affected that way as well. I don't do a, you know, a on-call practice or a farm call type practice, but I could see that there were certainly tons of challenges with that. I know that uh, a lot of referral practices were being mandated not to do elective surgery. And certainly there were tons of challenges with that. And just, you know, being able to, deal with clients without seeing them face to face like some of our small animal uh, practices around our area we're, we're having to deal with. So I'm sure there are lots of lessons learned and way other ways that we can capture the efficiencies that we we've had to be forced into from having to do our work a little bit differently. I know in our practice it's it's certainly you know streamlined our work a little more a little bit more. And I, you know, I see small animal colleagues that that uh, will take bits and pieces of what they've learned from having to practice the way they practice now, and 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 continue doing that down the road because it's been an effective model in some ways to to work that way, whether whether it be just the parking lot practice or you know just the the totally remote types of things that you can do with consulting with your clients and so on and so forth. So there'll be some things we take away from this that will carry on and, and uh, it'll become part of our regular practice life for sure. Absolutely. 
And Dr. Reed, how do you think the post-COVID world will look like? And, and I'd love to get your uh, perspective on, on education for students as well, too. Yeah, so I was just thinking that's probably what I should mostly stick to, <laughs> not being in practice so much anymore. I guess for us, you know, working in a, a teaching institution, some of the things that have affected us obviously have affected other people. And uh, when you were talking about parking lot practice, Dr. Hay, I mean, that's certainly been the case for us at Ohio State University is we have a lot of sort of curbside drop off of our patients. Um, so not having a lot of clients in the building and having them bring their horses and sort of transfer them over to staff outside the hospital and then bring them in. And we're making use of uh, telemedicine and telehealth much more so than we ever have in the past and trying to figure out ways to teach that to our students as well. And I would say that the pandemic has really taught us that the the world is very small. I think we used to feel like the world is very big and that we would travel and go lots of places and meet other people. And now with the technology that we have and just the way we conduct business, you know, things have become very small. We're talking to colleagues, not only across the country, but also around the world. So I know for myself, I'm regularly speaking to educators at veterinary schools and all the other countries. And for all the differences we have and the different ways that COVID has impacted our, our countries, we have more similarities than differences. And it's kind of good to compare notes and, and share things that we're doing and learn from each other. I would say as far as education of our students, it was an absolutely massive challenge for faculty to basically shift overnight into the online space. So going from teaching hands-on, you know, in the classroom to suddenly overnight, the clinic was closed. The students had to go uh, basically into a completely online environment. And, uh, and I know in our case at Ohio State University, it took us eight weeks to get the students back into the clinic. And in the meantime, they were doing online rotations. Our first to third year students were dumped into the online classroom overnight. And our faculty knew a little bit about online teaching, but not a lot. And so they had a pretty steep learning curve. But by the time we brought them back for the fall semester, we'd learned a lot more, planned a lot more. By the time we started this past January, I mean, our faculty are now becoming seasoned pros. And uh, I think the hardest thing to sustain at the moment is the lab teaching. So the clinical skills, hands-on teaching, uh, communication labs, those kind of things. I know for us with our our really large cohort size. Um, we have up to about 170 students a class. We're having to do our lab classes up to nine or 10 times a week, repeating the same lab over and over in order to get the class size down small enough that we can distance our students. And that's a, that's a huge ask for the faculty. And when they're doing that on top of their day job, you know, they're practicing as equine surgeons, as internal medicine specialists, and then we're asking them to do that at the same time, or drive an ambulatory truck and then take a week where they're teaching a lab 10 times over. That's a big ask. And it's a big ask for students too to learn to move into this new online world and learn in a completely different 
way. And I would say that that some of our students have really embraced it. Some have said, I don't particularly like it, but I'll get used to it. And others have said, ask me about it when this is all over. That's a great perspective. I, I, I never thought of that, having to repeat the same lab over and over on top of everything else. Yeah, that could be very challenging. And, and David, in terms of what you see the post-COVID world looking like, both from the perspective of the AAP, but also just in terms of where do you think this profession will be going as a response to this pandemic? Yeah, I think that there's a real opportunity with, with a greater adoption of telemedicine. Uh, in a post-COVID world. I know that, and the challenge will be, I think, the the use of the technology, what platform and provider to use and how to charge for it. I know there are members that are that are successfully doing it out there. And so I think an opportunity for the AEP is to try to identify those folks and and share that that information with everybody else. But I think the telemedicine uh, will will continue to grow uh, you know, in terms of of the AAP itself, uh, you know, delivery of education, of course, is the the obvious thing that that stands out to me. It just gives us greater opportunities to to put stuff out there. We've got a whole program planned to roll out each month, all year long, of some virtual learning opportunities. You know, it took us a while to kind of get our feet under us with this last year, but once we did, I think that we've we've got some opportunity to do some some pretty good things there. And so from a governance standpoint, you know, of course all of our committees and our board all met via Zoom all year long. Uh, some of that's good, uh, some of it's not as good. You you know, you can get the business done. Uh, it may not be as great an experience for the volunteer that way because you don't have the camaraderie building and it's harder to have a thoughtful or perhaps strategic discussion Everybody, you know, after about 90 minutes, I think everybody's kind of done being on the screen. And so, yeah, you can you can check off the boxes uh, and get the work done. But I think it, it, there are still aspects of the face to face that, that we well, I know that we've missed and that we'll want to bring back. And I think the challenge will be trying to kind of figure out the criteria for when it's when it's face to face versus when it's when it's virtual. But probably it'll be hybrid. So yeah, we're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm really curious from Dr. Hay and your role in the 2020 convention. You had the, I guess, the poor timing of being head of the educational program for the convention and then having to shift. So uh, just share some of your comments on how the 2020 virtual convention went. Well, actually, I think we were all very pleasantly surprised about how well it went. You know, from the from the initial planning stages of when we decided we were gonna to have to go virtual to the actual execution of, of the, the entire thing. And, you know, Carrie Ross and Karen Pouts, they, you know, they were just tremendous. You talk about staff and, and the entire staff just kicked in and, and got this thing together. I had very little concerns, worries, even work on the, the particular convention, because most of my, you know, most of my stuff, as far as lining up people to speak, people were real troopers. They all want to present live at the AAP, but they all, almost to a person jumped in and said, yeah, we'll do it this way. And, and most of them didn't have a lot of experience presenting like that. And, and, uh, and they did an awesome job getting it all put together. And I told, I think I told Foley the other day that I probably never have attended as many individual presentations at a convention as I have this year. And, and so I think the takeaway on that is that 
anything we've learned that I think anything in the future, we're going to have to look at multiple ways to offer this material to people, whether it be live, simulcast, recorded and replayed for months down the road or, you know, whatever mix that is, we're still talking about it. Uh, but there's going to be a mix coming down the road because we won't always be forced to be entirely virtual. And people that don't get to go to the convention and, and are left working still need education and AAP is a great place for them to get it. So if they can get it virtually, some people, other people get it live and virtually down the road. It's, I think that's going to be our wheelhouse in being able to offer these this great material that people are all seeking. I think it's a great segue to my next question for Dr. Reed, because as president-elect, you're responsible for the educational program of the upcoming convention. So can you share with the listeners uh, about the educational offerings this year, but particularly the, the convention and some of the themes or anything that you think at this time would be great to share with members? Sure. So I will say about the educational offerings that we have a great summer series in the works. So that will come up first and foremost before the convention. But uh, we have a small task force together right now that's working hard with the staff and uh, just trying to come up with what that summer series will look like. And at the moment, we feel like that's going to sort of gravitate around a, an, an international theme, uh, sharing amongst people across the globe about working on various different types of horses within the industry. And so look for that idea to be percolating and coming your way pretty soon. And that will be a virtual offering. And, and that will be fairly similar to how the summer series ran last year, um, which was kind of a, a last minute change or shift in programming as well, um, away from those typical in-person offerings that are held in the summer um, with AEP. And so this will be the same, same kind of thing. And I think last year it was extremely successful. The comments and feedback we had from people were that the uh, summer series was really well received. So we're hoping to do that again. The convention, we hope it's in person. Uh, we had a, a meeting the other night talking about what the plans are for the convention, you know, how much of it we think might be hybrid. And uh, as Dr. Hay said, the plan is to have some hybrid component. How much of it, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But everybody is really hoping that there will be an in-person convention. And I think that's because we all miss the social aspect. While we can see each other on Zoom, while we can talk to each other a little bit on Zoom, it's just not the same seeing everybody as a, a little tiny thumbnail instead of being able to walk up to them and give them a, a big hug and find out how they're really doing. So hopefully that convention this year in Nashville, we'll be able to get together in person and uh, enjoy some great content like we have in years past. Oh, that's something to look forward to. I know when the convention was going on last year, there was a void. Like, you're supposed to be somewhere else, and I'm supposed to be seeing these people and those. Uh, anyway, hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, David, I, you know, there's a lot that the AAP does. 
I know I asked some questions on the AAP Facebook group, if there's uh, any concerns or anything that people would like me to ask. And, you know, basically the theme was, you know, what are we doing to address the uh, current trend of, of people leaving practice early, uh, the quality of internships? Is there anything that um, members should know that what the AAP is focusing on in 2021? Well, absolutely. I mean, we have a, a strategic plan and we've we've had a strategic plan for the last 25 years. And it's we go through a planning cycle every three years uh, based on the latest member survey so that we make sure we're focusing on the things that are most important to the membership. And then this last planning cycle, you know, kind of three central areas came out. One was a focus on the profession, uh, specifically the retention issue. Uh, another goal was focusing on education, and education is is a part of nearly every AEP strategic plan, uh, with a focus on creating more digital and online content. And that was that was actually even pre-pandemic. So um, we we were positioned to go that way. We just had to accelerate the curve a lot quicker uh, on that one. And then the, you know a focus on the horse and and welfare issues surrounding the horse. Um, scope of practice issues, horse owner education, some some components like that. But relative to your your question on the Facebook page about addressing uh, retention, we we've got a process going on right now with a task force on retention, talking to recent graduates and students and practice owners as well about their experiences with equine practice, their experiences with hiring associates, all it is part of a, a kind of a massive data collection project initially to then sit down and sort of analyze this and see what, what are, where are areas that AP can change immediately? Where are areas that we can have some impact uh, and then, and then really start to address those. And that's a, you know, that's not an overnight thing and it'll, it'll, it's a longer term approach. We, we do have some other things that are more shorter term designed to help the recent graduate. One is the outrider mentorship program that we have um, to try to pair up a mentor with a mentee. We also have in the works uh, a new practitioner symposium that would be a standalone meeting all of its own for the new graduate. And we're hoping to roll that out most likely a year from now, probably the first quarter of 22. Uh, we've just kind of started the planning for that. We're, you know, we're developing a leadership program. Uh, we were going to do this last year and we had to push it. And so we're, we're hoping to launch a leadership development program uh, in the fall as well. So those are a couple of things, some more shorter term um, things. The other thing to mention, too, here is that, that we've taken a harder look at diversity. Uh, we formed a diversity, uh, equity and, and inclusion task force uh, a couple of months ago. And really, they're, they're kind of taking a deep dive into that and to, to make sure that the shorter term goals of that initiative would be to, to ensure that the AAP uh, is both welcoming uh, at its events uh, and inclusive uh, to everybody, and, and also in terms of volunteer service opportunities and things like that. The longer term view uh, or approach of that task force is how do we attract a more diverse uh, group of veterinarians into the equine practice profession? So. Um, those, I think, all kind of tie together our wellness committee, focusing a lot on life balance issues and some of their member meetups that they've been hosting with, uh, 
you know, we have an emergency coverage subcommittee. Emergency coverage concerns are a, are a big uh, source of contention and uh, with practitioners. And so I think we've got a lot of exciting things that we're in the middle of and, and hopefully we'll yield some positive results and, and, and all contribute towards the retention issue. That's really exciting that a that the uh, association is so responsive and also forward looking, and it sort of ties back into one of my first questions in terms of about you know the the satisfaction and the need to volunteer for the organization. So I think on that note, I'd like to thank all three of you for contributing. Uh, uh, I'm hoping people that are listening or uh, get a better understanding what the AEP is going to be doing this year, what they have done, where it's come from. Uh, and it sounds like that the profession is totally along board of wherever we go as a profession. So Dr. Hay, Dr. Reed, David, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you for having us. And I'd like to just, just thank those listening for their continued membership and support. We appreciate it. Thanks all. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org.